We're going to be in John 15. As you know, we've been preaching through the Gospel of John, uh, particularly John 15 of late. And um, I meant to have someone read the text, and I forgot. This is what happens when you're my age. So, um, if you don't mind, let's stand one more time as I read the text. Let's, as I stand, as I read the word, the, the word of God, I'd love for you to stand. John 15, beginning in verse 7. John 15, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. Just as the Father has loved Me, I have also loved you. Abide in My love. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give to you. This. I command you that you love one another. Be seated, please. So you heard it. You heard it. God says an astonishing thing. (laughs) He says you are... To the true believer, He says you are my friends. Now, this is an astonishing thing. Um, Sometimes I tell Karen specifically, Karen's my wife for those of you who don't know, that I like her. And I'm telling her something different, completely different than when I say I love her. Of course I love her. That's what I signed up for, right? I have to love her, right? But I like my wife. Um, there's, a, there's a distinction here. Yes, of course, in all seriousness, I love her. But I like her. And so, what am I saying when I tell my wife that I like her? That I would choose her to be my friend. Apart from the marriage vow and all of that, I would choose to be her. I would choose to spend the day with her. Right? Apart from the marriage. Apart from the husband and wife thing. I would choose to spend the day with her. I, I admire and respect who she is. I trust her. I confide in her. I value what she has to say to me. I take pleasure in being with her. I love to do things with her. I love to talk to her. I love to laugh with her. I love to hope and dream with her. I like my wife. And Jesus says tonight, you're my friends. I call you friends. No longer do I call you merely a slave, which we are, we are the bondservant of God. He is Lord and we, we are His servants. 
But he says, I call you friends. I really love my wife. And I think that flows from the fact that I really like my wife. And tonight, in John 15, Jesus calls His 11 disciples, and by extension, all of those of you in here who are born again and love Christ, you are the friend of God. Now, how can you not love being a Christian? Right? (laughs) We are the friend of eternal God. Incomparable God. Infinite God. Almighty God. We are the friend of God. This is one of the truths of Christianity. I went to the dictionary and looked the word up. This is what I found. A person whom one knows, likes, and trusts. Okay, so that's a very generic definition. One that one knows, likes, and trusts. So God likes me. Yeah, He loves me. I get it. I get it in 10,000 ways He loves me. But God likes me. God likes me. This is a whole different thing. If you've never thought about it, it's kind of big. And it will kind of change some stuff in your your mental gymnastics and your calculus. God likes me. God likes to spend time with me. God has confided in me. It's pretty important, beloved. Beloved. Yeah, I know He knows me. He designed me. He created me. I know He knows me. That's not the part of the definition that, that you know, uh, gets me excited. It's the, the fact that He likes me and He trusts me. He has shared eternal, weighty, awesome things with me. He has trusted me with the knowledge of His Son. I get pretty excited about this. I know, I believe, God loves me. I, it's, it's evident in the Word and it's evident in daily life. It's evident in the incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I know it and I believe it. Don't have any doubt about it. But what's arresting to me is God likes me. Now, if you've never made this distinction in your own mind, I commend it to you. It is worship-provoking. This dimension of the fact that, that I am the friend of God, it will deeply enhance and enrich your relationship with Him. God says, I have called you friends. This is not a word He throws around very much. Who in the Old Testament is specifically called the friend of God? Anybody know? There were only two. Moses, right? No, not David. Not Noah. Good guesses though. Abraham. That was your name. I knew that was on the tip of Amy's tongue, of course. Um, He doesn't throw this term around. He just doesn't do it. It's a very elite, exclusive group. Abraham, Moses, Orazio, you know, Chinelo, Kyle, Shine. I mean, here we are, right? Abraham, Moses, Orazio, 
TNA law. This is a big deal. And if you've never thought about it, I'm challenging you tonight to think about it. If you know Him, you love Him, you're in a relationship with Him, God is your friend. This, yeah, <laughs> I've been worshiping all week. It is worship provoking. So what's the context? Let's, let's get the context here again. Uh, especially for those that are visiting. Uh, we are in John 15. Um, this is the night before the cross. Jesus uh, has just shared the Passover meal with the, the twelve. He has, he has dismissed Judas. Judas is on his way to betray Jesus. Jesus and the eleven are on their way to the, the Garden of Gethsemane. They've come out of Jerusalem. They're walking, no doubt, through a vineyard, or they can see a vineyard. And Jesus says, this is what it's like between you and me. I am the vine, you are the branches. That's how much you need me. You can't do Christianity without Me. You have to be in Me. You have to abide in Me. You have to remain in Me. This is the point that's being made. You can't do nothing apart from Me. Is what Jesus is saying to His twelve. Judas, as we've talked about the last two weeks, this is one reason we, we understand the the, the simile here between the, the vine and the branch, Judas was a false branch. Judas has been broken off. Judas has been removed. And we know what I think the text says. All false disciples, all merely religious so-called followers of Christ, verse 6, if they don't abide in Me, that branch will be thrown away they will be gathered up and cast into the fire. They are to be burned. So, Judas was the false branch. He was the false disciple. He's gone, right? We talked a whole lot about that last week. And I'm sorry the message is not on the podcast site. Your old pastor forgot to turn his recorder on. So, this, this happens sometimes. It's just, just what happens. But this is the clear meaning of the text. The true vine abides in Christ, abides in the Word, abides in the love of God, the, the merely religious Christian, the merely, um, you know, all talk and no walk Christian, ultimately the Father will break him off and cast him into the fire. So we pick up here, verse 7, John 15. Verse 7, John 15. Jesus says, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Now, this is one of those texts that is utterly, totally, completely abused by false teachers. It's always ripped out of context, and it's a, a pretext for naming and claiming, right? Well, hey, God just volunteered to be your genie in a bottle. You ask Him whatever you want, right? And we've talked a lot about prayer in here. We know that prayer is not about getting stuff. Prayer is about what? Getting God, Okay? That's what real prayer is about. That's what Christian prayer is about. It's what it's about. Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. He said uh, almost the same thing over in John 14 we saw back in July. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now he's going to say, you heard me read it. He's going to say over in verse 16 that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, that He may give it to you. Again, this is one of the most misused and abused passages in the New Testament. The false teachers love 
these texts. So what is the context of chapters 14 and 15? It's all about the kingdom. Actually, what Jesus is saying, ask whatever you wish with respect to me and my purpose in the world. This is really the context. Ask whatever you wish in regard to the kingdom. This is the context. It's not you want a new Mercedes, right? Or I want, you know, a big bonus. Or I want my my child to be healed. This is not what we're talking about here. Is it wrong to ask for your child to be healed? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying to, to pray in the way that God wants us to pray. This is for the glory of God. This is not because I want to be, you know, I, I want it to simply for my child's health and my convenience and my happiness and their happiness. This should be about God. Real prayer is ultimately about God. We talked about it in December. Does anybody remember the thing that guides biblical prayer, spiritual prayer, God-centered prayer? The will of God. This is what governs Christian prayer. We saw it in 1 John, I think it's 5.13. We pray, and we know we have what we pray when we've asked according to the will of God. I've made the point, and I'll, go, I'll move on, but I've made the point back in December about prayer. It's how Jesus told us to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's how He taught us to pray. It's how He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll see it in the next week or two, right? Lord, take this cup from me, but if not, your will be done. Jesus told us to pray your will be done, and then Jesus prayed your will be done. And I just noticed this a couple of weeks ago in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit prays and intercedes for the Christian, right? The will of God. So there's something really wrong with you if you call yourself a Christian and you don't want the will of God. Something's bad wrong. Something's bad wrong if you're off on a tangent, right? God means for us to be praying His will. What is His will? His glory and the salvation of His people. All of our prayers should be in that context. Does that mean I can't pray for the healing of my my child? Absolutely not. Pray for the healing of your child in the context of the glory of God. But this promise, this promise that I will do anything you ask of me, this promise is in the context of God's will. And I'm going to say it again. Why would any professing Christian want anything other than God's will? There's something bad wrong in your profession of faith if you would want anything other than God's will. Does He not know better than you? I I mean, just think about that for a minute. Does He not know better than you? Well, of course, He knows better than we do. If we simply read our Bibles, we know that Prayer is not carte blanche. You know, God said no to the Apostle Paul, right? You know the the text, right? God said no to the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh. God said no. So my point to you is always don't take offense when God tells you no. He will say no to you in prayer. He'll say no. He'll just say no. But when you're praying the will of God... 
pray whatever you ask and I'll do it. Beloved, this is the biblical context. And don't let some false teacher tell you any different. We talked about it two weeks ago. If you're ever going to understand the Bible, you have to understand it in context. You always need to read the, the two chapters before and the two chapters after. A proof text to ensure what God is saying to us. So as we immerse and saturate ourselves in the Word and as we behold the Godness of God, we want the will of God. We want the glory of God. We're going to talk about it in a minute. The glory of God is my joy. Yeah, it'd be great joy for my child to be healed, but the greatest joy is the glory of God in the healing of my child. And God knows your heart. He knows what you delight in most. <laughs> he knows if your prayer is all about you or if it's all about Him. He knows. That's why I love what He says in Romans 8. You know, you don't even know how to pray. So the Holy Spirit intercedes for you in accordance with the will of God. Verse 8, By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, if you don't know what fruit is, I gave eight examples last week. I didn't record it. If you want my notes, I'll send them to you. I'm not going to go into it. But by this, the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. You go be a Christian. This is all right. Let's just let's just you know get it as short as we can. You go in the world and be one. That brings glory to the Father. You go do the Word in the world. Yeah, it's great that you come to church. You should come to church. True believers come to church. But true believers go out in the world and they incarnate the Word. It's what they do. It's what Jesus is saying here. Prove to be My disciples. Yeah, it's good for you to talk about it. I'm glad you talk about it, but what I really want you to do is I want you to go walk it, right? I want you to go walk it in your sphere of influence, in your orbit, and everybody sees, wow, this Jesus thing must be real. Doesn't mean everybody's going to be converted. We're going to see it next week. What does Jesus say? The world will hate you. It hated me. It will hate you. So we're going to see that next week. I believe in the text. Yep, there it is. Verse 18. It hated me before. And it will hate you as well. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a minute and we're going to talk some theology here. <laughs> Why is it a really good thing for the Christian that um, God is glorified? Why is that a really good thing? I've already said it. you got to go back to it's helpful to go back to John 11, that foundational theological lesson in John 11. What was the whole thing with Lazarus being sick? What was that whole thing about? Was it about Lazarus? Was it about Martha? Was it about Mary? Who was it about? Remember? That God would be glorified. Do you remember? And what was the net result of John 11? As Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, what's the net result of God being glorified and Jesus answering the prayer, and Lazarus comes out of the tomb. What was the net result? Anybody remember? Joy. Hey, you, you learned to pray the will of God. 
<laughs> for the glory of God, you will experience joy. I love John 11. I, could, I think I could preach John 11 almost every Sunday. Why is it the best thing in the universe for the believer, for God to be glorified? Because for the believer, the glory of God is the best thing in the universe. And that's only true if you love Him, you know, and you're in relationship with Him, and you love to see God high and lifted up and exalted, and you love to see, you know, I, there's so much wickedness and evil in the world, I often think about, well, I, I say to Karen all the time, there's going to be a lot of wrath. You know, whatever the context is, whatever we're watching in the media, whatever's going on in the politics, whatever's going on in the false church, all this stuff, you know, there's just going to be a ton of wrath. And God's going to be glorified in His wrath, right? As He executes perfect justice on all who have rebelled against Him. So Jesus wired us. It's how He made us that we would rejoice in His glory. That's why God's pursuit of His glory is God's pursuit of your joy. This is big theology. You need to learn to think like this. The glory of God is my joy. And if you know Him and love Him, as I said, it will be true. It's an amazing thing to wrap your mind around. God is pursuing His glory with every fiber of His infinite being, which means He is pursuing your joy with every fiber of His infinite being. This gets me jazzed, right? I'm not left to myself. I, you know, if you've reached any age at all, you realize you're not that interesting. Man, I got bored with myself a long time ago. If you haven't gotten bored with yourself yet, you're not paying attention. You're just not paying attention. You're not that interesting. God is interesting. Jesus Christ is interesting. Infinitely so. How could you not want to abide in Him? How could you not want to abide in His Word? How could you not want to pray His will and live it out? How could you not? If you, listen, if you don't have any interest in that, you have no clue what God is saying to you in John 15. You have no understanding of what God is offering to you. In John 15, I was sharing with someone earlier, God is teaching me a lot of stuff in the last year or so. If you're not always bringing your biblical theology down into the minutia of life, you're not understanding anything properly. God means for you to bring all of this beautiful theology down into the minutia of your life. And He is glorified. And we get the joy. Look how Jesus puts it together here in verse 8, okay? I'll be glorified. He says, my Father will be glorified. And drop down to verse 11 real quick. I say this stuff to you that my joy may be in you and your joy will be made full. So there's the theology lesson. It's all right here in the text, right? <laughs> the glorification of God in... My pathetic life, yes, He means to do it and He will do it as I abide in Him, abide in His Word, abide in His love. We see all that in the text tonight. 
and my joy will be made full. It's just the promise of God. And for those of you who've sold out, for those of you who are sold out, you know it's true. You know it's true. I was telling someone earlier, you know, God's more fun than anything else on the planet or anyone else on the planet. And if you're really walking with Him, you understand what I'm talking about. I love how Paul, I love how Paul says it uh, to Titus there in Titus 2.10. Your call, and I think I shared this verse with you last week, is to adorn the doctrine of God. To adorn the doctrine of God. He is our Savior. To adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. We make Jesus famous in the way we live. God says, go bear much fruit for the glory of My Father. Prove to be My disciples and I'll fill you up with joy. So Jim, I don't have a lot of joy. I say this to you all the time, but that's on you. If you claim to be a Christian and you don't have joy, that's all on you. Paul says, the true believer can be sorrowful, which we will be. We're not immune to the trials and tribulations of this world. Sorrowful, does anybody know what he told the Corinthians? Sorrowful, but always rejoicing, right? <laughs> Man, you couldn't touch Paul's joy. <laughs> you know, I won't get into that's a whole other sermon. I won't get into that. I'm getting off the point. Beloved, we have not taken a monastic vow. God has called us to a God-sized life with God-sized joy. And that comes from abiding in Him, abiding in His Word, abiding in His love. So I'll just ask you, are you doing that? Is, is that like you know, something that you're intentional about? I'm in the Word of God. I'm, I'm praying, I'm talking to the Lord about His will in my life. How I might glorify Him. And the, again, the side benefit is the joy we receive in that whole process. Verse 9 of John 15. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. There He says it. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His Love. Did you hear what Jesus said? As the first member of the Godhead loves the second, which is to say perfectly, omnipotently, um, eternally, Jesus says to the eleven, and He says to every born-again believer in this room, that's how I love you. I love you like that. I love you like the first member of the Trinity loves the second member of the Trinity. That's how I love you. You know, I think we accept these things doctrinally and intellectually and academically. But i got to say to you, if, if these things don't give you goosebumps, you're not understanding it. Hey, I was sharing with someone earlier. <laughs> I've been a Christian 35 years. I still get goosebumps all the time by the stuff God says to me. If you're not getting goosebumps, you're not thinking deeply about it. You're just not really thinking deeply about it. You know, it becomes like Muzak. Well, I've heard that a million times. You know, it's just Muzak. It's in the background. And so what is the evidence of true love of God? It's always the same. In the Bible, it's always obedience. Don't tell me or your spouse or your kids or your friends you love God and not be intentional about your obedience because you're just lying. You're just lying. 
Am I saying we'll be sinless? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying consciously. Jesus says, that's how I love my Father. I obeyed my Father. That's how I expect you to love me. You will obey me. Right? <laughs> it's what the text it's what the text actually says. You remember John 14, 15. It's one of my favorite verses. Jesus just said it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Bam. You can't run, you can't run from that. It just is what it is. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Is he talking about sinlessness? No. None of us will be sinless until we see him. For when we see him, we'll be like him. But we're in that Romans 7 sanctification fight. But we are intentional. And we are putting down sin and picking up righteousness. We're in that Romans 7 fight that Paul talks about. We're always in it. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples by keeping my commandments, abiding in my love. <laughs> you know, the stuff, well, I prayed the prayer and I did the baptism. I'm good to go. And you live like the world? And you actually love the world? What you did has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. Not only does it not please God, I think it offends God. For us to say we belong to Christ, but it makes no difference to me. I live just like everybody else. I, I, I'm chasing the same stuff the world's chasing. You know, some superficial profession of faith does not please God. It offends God, beloved, if I can say that to you in love. So what is your life saying about God? Make no mistake, the way you live reveals what you truly believe. Your life is your testimony to your family, your friends, your co-workers. They know what you believe about Jesus. They know. They know whether He's the central part of your life or if He's peripheral. If He's first on the list or last. If He is the Lord of your life or a Sunday habit, they know. Everyone in your life knows. God says, glorify Me in your life. Bear much fruit. Prove to be My disciples. These are the red words. It doesn't matter. I, I tell you in love, it doesn't matter if they land easy on your ears. That's not the point. The point is, did God say them? Did God say these words? And of course, we're a Bible-believing church. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So we touched on this text just a few minutes ago, but I just want to go a little bit deeper because there's a lot of theology here, you know. I, I shared a text or a verse with you or a quote with you by John Piper some weeks ago. Creation is simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence, right? <laughs> and this is what God is offering to His people. Um, what was it? Infinite exuberance. You say, Jim, I don't have any infinite exuberance. It's on you, man. If you claim to be a Christian. <laughs> 
You know, one of my favorite illustrations would be the Hubble telescope. The Hubble telescope can see 13 billion light years. Who knows what a light year is? Some of you smart people. Who knows what a light year is? And I, I, remember, I speak in miles, not kilometers. <laughs> six trillion miles. 13 billion times six trillion. That's how far out the Hubble telescope can see. You know what this is? The cosmos is a word picture of the glory of God and the joy He's offering you. It is limitless. It is boundless. The cosmos is simply a word picture of the greatness of God. And God is saying, did you notice? What did the text say? It says, my joy, my joy may be in you. Not simply that your joy may be full, but my joy will be in you. 13 billion times 6 trillion joy will be in you. As Peter says, you want to live with a full heart, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, abide in the Word. Abide in Jesus. Abide in His love. And you will know the infinite exuberance of God. Verse 12 and 13, This is My commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that they lay down His life for His Friends, we talked about this last summer in John 13. Jesus says, Love one another even as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. So we've talked about this. You all know this. That that's the, that's the brand of a Christian. That's the name brand of a Christian. You, the world will know that you are His because you love the brethren. Right? That's, that's the hallmark. You're in obedience. You're not sinless and you still own it. You're still happy to tell everybody that you're a sinner saved by grace, but you're, you're, you're intentionally pursuing obedience. You're doing it. And you're loving the brethren. These things will always be in a real Christian's life. Go read 1 John, the book of assurance. You want to know if you're a Christian? Go read the book of 1 John. If you look like 1 John, it's what the book is about. It's what the book is about. So love is the preeminent and distinguishing mark. I'm to love Orazio as Jesus loves me, and Orazio is to love Christina as Christina as Jesus loves him, and Christina is to love Jason as Jesus loves her. So on and on and on it goes. We know in this life we will never love perfectly like Jesus, but we know what He's saying and He means for us to be doing it. <laughs> he means for us to be pursuing it. He means for us to be working on it. So John is, as you know, John's one of the disciples. He's following Jesus. He's hearing this whole discourse. And then he writes 1 John, right? I'm just going to share one verse with you from 1 John. John. John's processing all this, right? And then the Holy Spirit's going to lead him to, to write 1 John. Here's 1 John 3, 16-18. We know by this that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That doesn't just mean physically, right? We lay down our lives in service to the brethren. This is not simply talking about martyrdom. It may be talking about martyrdom for a select few. Not many in the West. He's talking about I'm laying my life down in service to the church. In service to the body of Christ, right? That's what he's talking about there. But whoever has 
the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So I'm going to ask you, is this kind of love in you? Do you love the body of Christ? Are you serving the body of Christ? It's what God has called us to, beloved. It's what God has called us to. Verse 14 and 15. You are My friends if you do what I command you. There it is. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from My Father, I have made known to you. In every case, I'll say it again. A genuine relationship with Jesus Christ will be evidenced by obedience. We are not saved by obedience. We are saved by sovereign grace through the gift of faith. That's how we're saved. But if we are saved, James chapter 2, there will be works. There will be fruit. It is it's like night follows day. It's just a spiritual truth. If we are His... There will be fruit. And I love, again, this word friend. I remember when I was first converted, I uh, immediately landed in a Bible study called Bible Study Fellowship. And um, uh, 300 guys, right? And it was great. Loved it. And we were studying Genesis. And I kept, I kept watching this relationship between God and Abraham. And I loved it. And God just keeps coming to Abraham. And Abraham just keeps obeying God. And, and ultimately, God calls him his friend. And it's like, Wow! Really? Really? (laughs) You know, the friend of God? And if you're a Christian, it's what He's saying about you. You may have had a hard week. Some of you may be going through some hard stuff, but hey, I'm here to encourage you tonight, right? (laughs) If you're a believer, man, God's your friend. God's your friend. Yeah, the goosebump thing is going on. You can't see it. The dictionary definition, a person whom one knows, likes, and trusts. I mentioned it earlier. God has confided in me. It's what He's doing with these guys, and it's what He does with all of His people. You remember Matthew 13, as men ask Him, why are you, talk- why are you speaking to them in parables? Do you remember Jesus' words? To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been granted. When was the last time you thanked God that He has granted you repentance and faith and the knowledge of His Son? When was the last time you thanked God for it? Because it was a sovereign disclosure, beloved. It was a gift from God. You didn't deserve it, but He gave it. It goes back to what Bertha was saying. Man, we, we, there's just so much we take for granted. I bet some of you sitting in this room haven't thanked God for that in recent memory. Jesus says, I have chosen you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. We're going to see it in the text in a minute. And it's been granted to you. 
This is big. If you, if you understand this, you will, at least metaphorically, lay on your face, prostrate before God and be in awe that you have been loved like this. This is how God saves His people. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. You remember Luke chapter 10, Blessed are your eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you, again the words of Jesus, that many prophets and kings wished to see these things, but they did not see them. You see them because I disclosed myself to you. You're my friend. I am confiding in you. <laughs> this is huge. <laughs> this is huge. It's just huge, beloved. And, and, and if you're thinking about it, it's huge. It's just one of those breathtaking God, thing God says about His children. Let me ask you this. Have you ever stopped and thought about who you were and who you are? If you're in Christ tonight. Who you were and who you are. I thought about a few things. Romans chapter 5. You were helpless, ungodly, a sinner, an enemy of God. That's who you were. You were an enemy of God. Now you're a friend of God. You know, Ephesians 2, we talked about it at Christmas. You were dead in your trespasses and sins by nature a child of wrath. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, He made us alive in Christ, raised us up in Him, seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, Romans chapter 8. We are adopted sons and daughters, co-heirs with Jesus. Have you stopped lately to think about who you were in all your pride and arrogance and self-love and narcissism before Jesus and who you are now. This is all miraculous. <laughs> this, is a, this is a miracle of God. That someone with a hard heart like you and me would be hopelessly in love with the Son of God now. This is the work of God. Do you ever stop and feel the weight and the scope of it, beloved? Do you ever stop and feel the weight and scope of it. Let's finish up here. Verse 16. You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Now, yeah, this is one of those texts that touches on the sovereign election of God of His people. And again, we're... I'm not going to go into it tonight. If you'll hang in with us till we get to John 17, Jesus mentions this several times in John 17 as He prays to the Father. We'll talk about it more in depth there. But you know, there are many people who profess to be Christians and they hate this doctrine that God elects His people. I've never understood this. Why would you hate God's Word? There's no sound biblical scholar that would deny this is exactly what God says He does. Ultimately, it's an offense to God. Ultimately, it's arrogance before God that we would not accept His Word and believe what He clearly says about how He saves His people. It's for the glory of God. It's not for your glory. It's for the glory of God. So don't touch it. If you, have, if you struggle with the sovereign election of God, well then, admit it. Be humble with it. But, but don't deny it. You know, I have a lot of people that come through this church and they struggle with it. And I give them plenty of space to struggle. Hey, go ahead and wrestle with it. Go ahead and wrestle with it. Just, that's fine. But don't you dare deny it. Right? 
you'll be touching God's glory. So Jesus says, verse 16, I appointed you to go and bear much fruit. Which makes me think of Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? You guys know this text. And I always get this question. Do you think I'm walking in, in uh, you know, uh, the good works that God prepared beforehand for me? How do I know? Well, here's how you know. John 15, you abide in Christ. You abide in the Word. You abide in His love. You don't have to worry, as John MacArthur says, famous preacher in the States, you don't have to worry about fruit. All you have to worry about is abiding. You abide, God will do the rest. You abide, you'll know what you're supposed to do in the morning when you roll out of bed. You abide. This is what Jesus is saying to us. We abide. So in this way, are you consciously abiding in Christ? Are you intentionally abiding in His Word? Are you deliberately abiding in His love? If you are, you will be walking in those Ephesians 2.10 works that He has prepared for you. You know how you know that this is all going on in your life? <laughs> it's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, it came out of a movie, but I think it's in a book somewhere. You guys know Eric Little, the famous Olympian um, from England. He wouldn't run on Sunday. He lost, lost a chance to win a gold medal. He wouldn't run on Sunday. He was very uh, devout. But he was a pure runner. You remember what he said about running? Anybody remember? This is how you know. This is how you know if you're walking in those Ephesians 2.10 works you will feel the pleasure of God. That's what he said. When I run, I feel the pleasure of God. This is what happens to Christians when they're abiding in Christ, abiding in the Word, and abiding in His love. You will feel the pleasure of God. I love this text. I love John 15. I've heard from several of you. You love John 15 too. It's beautiful, man. We talked last week about the gravity and the gladness. Yeah, verse 6 is pretty grave. Those who are false are thrown, uh, are thrown into the fire. But the true believer bears much fruit for the glory of God and for our joy. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight.